And I'm excited not because of what God has to do. I'm excited that every time God does something new in your life, it positions you for God to do something new in your life. Did you hear that? Every time God does something new in your life, it positions you for God to do something new in your life. Every level of increase opens the door for a new level of increase. You can't go to step three till you get to step two. And so I want to just encourage you to I hope you came hungry physically. I hope you came hungry spiritually because we're just going to feast today. Today is a day of celebration. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to wrap up our series that we've been on through our 21 days of prayer and fasting. It's called Do It for a Day. Uh, it's based off of Mark Batterson's book. It's a 30-day devotional, and I want to encourage you. We're 22 days in now to our 30-day devotional. We've still got eight more days, so I hope you stay the course. How many of you are enjoying the book? Anybody reading the book? Anybody enjoying it? A couple hands around the house today. Well, I hope you get the book. If you haven't already done it, you ought to purchase the book, and let me tell you why. You should invest in yourself. You should invest in yourself. If you're not reading good books that are challenging you to become more of who God has called you to be, then you're robbing yourself. So you should invest in yourself. You should invest in yourself. And I promise you this, if you would make the commitment to invest in yourself and spend 30 days working through that little devotional book, you know what will happen? At the end of 30 days, you're going to come shake my hand and you're going to say, Pastor Keith, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you because that's how powerful it will be. When you begin to invest in yourself with the right stuff, how many of you know we can scroll for hours and do nothing but lose time? Or we can put our face in the right book, God's book, and books that are teaching the, and training the truth of Scripture, and our lives can be changed. So let me just encourage you, invest in yourself. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 17 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, and make the most of every opportunity. Literally redeem the time in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. If you look at that first point, if you're a note taker this morning, we said that our goal for 2020 was really simple. We want to make and break habits that are going to create margin and empower us to live on mission for the glory of God. We want to make and break habits. How many of you can say there may be some habits I still need to break? Maybe some habits I need to make, right? We need to make and break habits so we can create margin. What's margin? Margin is space. It means that you would have more time, more money, and more energy to do the thing God's called you to do. How many of you could say, my life would look a little better if I had more time, more money, and more energy? Because here's what happens. Because we have not created the habits that create margin, we live hurried, busied lives. And we're constantly running physically. We're running mentally. We're running financially. We're running emotionally and we are most of us running on empty with no margin there's no space for you to breathe there's no time to think there's no time to pray and there's no time to plan and if you don't have time to think and pray and plan you're in trouble because you know what will happen if you don't have time to think pray and plan you'll just repeat yesterday today You'll just keep doing the same old thing over and over again, and nothing in your life will ever really change. Why? Because you're on repeat instead of on the life that God's called you to live. So we've got to create margin. So our goal for 2022 is we want to create margin so we can live on mission, 
So I can know that at the end of my life, my life is going to matter for something eternal. I'm not just living for the sake of living. I'm not just building bigger houses and buying nicer cars and living in finer things. I'm actually living a life that one day is going to have eternal significance because I connected my heart to God's purpose. We said it this way on the very first Sunday of this year. We said, I want my personal accomplishments to connect me to kingdom advancement. I want my personal accomplishments to connect me to the kingdom advancements of God's kingdom so that my life, my individual successes can advance God's kingdom as I reach people with the hope of the gospel because God's in favor of your success. Can I get an amen from somebody today? So last week we looked at two habits that Mark Batterson shares in the book on how to empower us to make and break habits. Today, we're going to talk about three more habits. He shares seven habits in the book, but for the sake of time, we're going to look at three more today. So look at that next point. So the next habit that we need is what he calls fly the kite. I love this one, fly the kite. Here's what it means. It simply means this. If we do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they're little things. If we'll do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they are little things. If we'll pray, if we'll study, if we'll show up, if we'll invest in our families, if we'll read a good book, if we'll commit ourselves to eating right and exercising, if we'll do the little things, God will do the big things. Because the realization is simply this, guys. When you understand what does it mean to fly the kite, it means that you recognize that it's that little small act of daily obedience. It's that little small act of daily doing the thing that I'm supposed to do. It's being willing to do the mundane things of life. How many know there are some things you just can't stop doing, at least if you want to keep eating? <laughs> right? There's some things you can't just stop doing if you want to keep eating, right? You got to keep on working, right? You got to keep on doing laundry if you want to wear clean clothes. You got to keep on cleaning the house if you don't want to live in a mess. You got to keep on putting gas in the car if you want to be able to drive it down the road the next day. There are some things you just got to keep doing. Here's, here's the secret to flying the kite. It's recognizing the significance of those little things. It's recognizing that if I'm willing to do those little things and I'm willing to commit myself to doing those little things like they're big things, I'm going to do the little things like it matters. I'm going to pray like it matters because it does. I'm going to love my wife like it matters because it does. I'm going to invest in my kids like it matters because it does. I'm going to spend time at the feet of Jesus like it matters because it does. I'm going to help other people like it matters because it does. Look at the scripture. Matthew chapter 25 verse 21. It's, a, it's called the parable of the talents. The Lord said to him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You were faithful over the few and I'll make you ruler over many. If we'll do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they're little things. And all of a sudden your life will begin to be transformed and you'll see God do things in you and through you that you and I could only imagine. Luke 16 verse 10 says this, one who is faithful in little things is also faithful in much and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much the bible teaches us a very powerful but yet practical principle if you're not faithful in handling the little god gives you then god won't give you more because if you're dishonest with a little you'll be dishonest with much if you're faithful with a little you'll be faithful with much and we got to grab hold of that realization that the little things matter look at that next point so flying the kite means that we recognize listen to this little statement that how we do anything is how we do everything 
I love that statement. That's a direct quote from the book. How we do anything is how we do everything because little things matter. Little by little, we grow stronger. Little by little, we grow wiser. Little by little, we grow better, right? How we do anything is how we do everything. I, I grew up, my dad was a carpet layer, so I was the son of a carpet layer. And for the first 15 years that I was in the ministry, I was a pastor who also worked laying carpet. So I laid carpet to provide for my family financially. And my dad taught me something when I was young uh, and growing up laying carpet with him. He said, Keith, he said, if you want to know the quality of a carpet layer, you look at his van. Because the way he takes care of his tools will determine the quality of work and how he'll take care of his customers. Because if he won't take care of his own tools that he owns, he's not going to take care of the customer's house that he doesn't own. Well, you know what would be an exciting experiment? We're not going to do it because I might be embarrassed, but it would be exciting if we just walked out in the parking lot and opened the doors and looked into everybody's car today. Because how you do anything is how you do everything. Now, now let me just make a little confession here. I, I found out, I'm, gonna, I'm saying this to cover myself. I, I found out that, that even the most orderly clean people, sometimes we have this little place Sometimes we call it a junk room. We call ours a garage. <laughs> you walk in our house, I'm happy for you to go in any room in our house. But when the garage door goes up, my heart cringes. <laughs> I actually feel bad for my neighbors when I open my garage door. It's pitiful. And this message just reminded me, Keith, how you do anything is how you do everything. Little things really do matter. And the truth is, we know that to be true. We just don't like to acknowledge it because it requires change. It requires me to begin to bring order and structure and process to my life. It requires me to begin to pay attention to the little details that are going undone in my life and focus in on the things that we know are little things, but in the eyes of God, they're big things, and they really do matter. Look at the scripture, Exodus 23, verse 30. 30. I love the scripture because the children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea. They're about to take, start taking possession of the promised land. And look what God tells them. He says, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. God says, little by little, I'm going to drive them out. Why? Because God knew if he gave them all the promised land at one time, they could not maintain or sustain what God wanted to do in their lives. We've all seen it, right? It's called teenagers. You remember teenagers? You ever seen a teenager get stuff that they can't, they're not, they don't, they, they get possessions that they don't have the maturity to manage? That doesn't happen just in teenagers. It kind of happens in adults. They get possessions, and all of a sudden, the possession that God blesses them with ends up becoming the thing that keeps them from doing the thing God called them to do. You know why? Because God understands something. He understands that he has to bless us little by little. It's flying the kite. It's understand that little by little we win the day. Little by little we get stronger. Little by little we get wiser. Little by little we get better. As I was reading it this, this past week, the Holy Spirit says to me, he said, Keith, he said, if you want to be the best, if you want to be the best husband, the best father, the best, I, I'm a papa now, the best papa, if you want to be the best pastor, preacher, communicator, best leader, here's what he said to me. He said, Keith, if you want to be the best, then you got to be committed to every day getting better. Because there really is no finish line called being the best. 
There's just a daily process called getting better. I can never be the best until I'm committed to every day getting better. Little by little, I want to get better. Little by little, I want to be a better husband, a better pastor, a better father, a better papa, a better person. Little by little, that's how it happens. Mark Batterson tells the story, true story, of the first railway suspension bridge. It was 825 feet long that stretched out over a chasm that was 225 foot deep. And it was back in the day before they had all the technology and the advancement that we have now. And so the engineers and designers of this bridge asked the question, how are we going to get the first string across this 825-foot chasm? And if you read the story, you know what happened. They said, we're going to have a kite contest. We're going to fly the kite. And they offered $10 to the person that could fly a kite from one side of the chasm 825 feet to the other side of the chasm and I think it was a 14 or 15 year old boy that won the contest and once the kite landed on the other side they took the string on that side that was connected to the boy on that side and they tied a bigger string to it and they drug it across and then they tied a bigger string to it and they drug it across and then they tied a rope to it and they drug it across and then they tied a cable to it and they drug it across and then they finally drug across a cable that was 36 strands of 8 gauge I wrote it down for all the smart people out there they're gonna say how big was that 10 gauge wire 36 strands of 10 gauge wire that stretched across that ended up being part of that suspension bridge listen to this that would hold a 170 ton locomotive how do you build a suspension bridge that holds a 170-ton locomotive train? It's really easy. You fly a kite. It, it all starts with a little thing. One small string, one simple act of obedience, one daily commitment to doing the next right thing that God has called you to do, all of a sudden gets stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger. And before you know it, You've built a bridge that'll hold a 170-foot train, 170,000 ton, 170-ton train that can drive across it. It's amazing. It's the power of flying a kite. Look at the next habit. The next habit that we need to make and to break habits is called cut the rope. Cut the rope. This may be one of my favorite ones. Cut the rope because playing it safe is risky. Our greatest regrets, they did a survey of, I believe it was over 100 people that lived to be past 90 years old, and, and they asked them, what are their greatest regrets? And here's the answer. Their greatest regrets were not their failures. Their greatest regrets were the missed opportunities, the things that we could have or should have done. Those people that lived to be 90 years old said, my greatest regret is not my failures. My greatest regret is the missed opportunities in my life. Let me just tell you today, when you get to the end of your life, your greatest regret is not going to be the mistakes that you made. Your greatest regret is going to be the opportunities that you missed, the things that you should have and could have done if you would have just stepped out in faith, if you would have faced your fears, if you'd have cut the rope and said, I'm all in, and God, I'm going to follow you. That's going to be your greatest regret. January 20. 20. I was in my quiet time. I had been praying and I was, I was listening that day to a podcast. And the guy in the podcast, he made this statement. He said, in two years, what is going to be the one thing that you're going to regret if you don't do it? 
And immediately the Holy Spirit quickened my heart. And, and, and the answer came to me. He said, Keith, in two years, the one thing you're going to regret that you haven't done is if you have not created a fully functional online campus that can disciple people via video around the world. That was three months before COVID. That was three months before the pandemic. That was three months before we ever knew that every church on planet Earth was going to shift to online campuses. And God said, Keith, the one regret you'll have in two years, if you don't do it now, is to begin to build that campus. We're not there yet, but guys, we're building. Come on, somebody. And we're reaching people around the world right now through the hope of the gospel. And we're just getting started in what we're going to do because our online campus is going to be our largest campus because it has unlimited opportunities to reach people in every place, every, every part of the planet, in every situation, and every season of life. First Samuel. 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. Jennifer talked about this today. She had no clue what I was preaching on. 1 Samuel 17, 40. It says, Then he, speaking of David, took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. Look at verse 43. So the Philistine, this is Goliath, said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you know what he's about to do? He's about to cut the rope, guys. <laughs> he's about to cut the rope. He's about to draw a line in the sand. He's about to step out of his flesh and step into a place of faith and confidence in God. He's about to say, all, 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 uh, all holds are gone and I'm pressing in. Look what he says. He says, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. How many of y'all know David knew how to get ahead? Thank y'all for laughing. Praise the Lord. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camps of the Philistines to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Arab, Alabama. That all the earth may know that there's a God in Holly Pond. That all the earth may go that there's a God in Israel. David said, I'm going to take your head. Not only am I going to take your head, I'm going to feed the carcasses of the entire army of the Philistines to the birds of the air. Verse 47, and then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. You need to know that. It's not your intellect nor your money. It's not your power nor your position. It's not your ability nor your strength. The Lord does not save by sword and spear. The battle belongs to the Lord. And he will give us, he said, into your hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose that he came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David ran to the battle. Look at that next point. Cutting the rope means stepping out in faith. It means trusting God. It means moving beyond my flesh. It means stepping out in faith. It means declaring that enough is enough. Enough is enough. It's picking a fight and declaring war on the thing that has held you in bondage. Let me ask you a question. How long? How long are you going to fight the same old fight? How long are you going to face the same old demons? How long are you going to walk around the same old mountains? Come on, isn't enough enough? Somewhere along the line, we just got to draw a line in the sand. We got to cut the rope and say, hey, I'm all in because enough is enough. And I'm going to declare war on that thing that is keeping me from the very thing God has purposed for my life. 
I'm no longer going to dance with it. I'm no longer going to play with it. I'm no longer going to condone it. I'm no longer going to justify it, which is probably one of the worst things we do, by the way. And that is that we justify the thing that keeps us in bondage. But all of a sudden, if we cut the rope, we're going to step out in faith. We're going to declare war. The power of sin, think about this last statement right here. The power of sin has been broken. The blood of Jesus broke the power of sin. And the power of the Holy Spirit has been given. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and you. Enough is enough. 1 John 4, 4 says, you are of God, little children. I want you to listen to me today. You are of God, little children. If you're watching me online, you are of God, little children. Look at this. And you have overcome them. Who's them? It's those who are controlled by the Antichrist. It's that Antichrist, demonic spirit that's risen up against the kingdom of God. I, I, I get so grieved when I hear people talk about how dark the world is. When we ought to talk about how bright the, Christ, the light of Christ is. The light shines in the darkness, First John says, and the darkness can never extinguish it. You have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I want you to think about this for a second. Your bad habit is only a habit. It's a habit that can be broken. It's a sin that can be forgiven. It is a stronghold that can be eradicated through the power of the blood of Jesus and the mighty anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit said this to me. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. He said, Keith, he said, you'll never know what I can do in you and through you until you're all in. Until you're all in, you'll never really know what God can do. Until you're willing to cut the rope that's holding you back. Until you're willing to cut the rope of fear or insecurity or worry or the what ifs or the support of other people and all these things that stand in the way. Until you cut the rope, until you're all in, you'll never really know what God can do in and through you. But when you give yourself completely to Him, John Wesley made this statement one time. He said, the founder of the Methodist Church, he said, give me 100 men that fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God. And I can turn the world upside down. Because when you're all in, you're all in. And all of a sudden, you're willing to run to the battle. Look at the next point. Our last habit for today. So the last habit we're going to talk about today is called seed the clouds. We have to sow today what we want to see tomorrow. Let me ask you today, what do you want to see tomorrow? What do you want to see in your life personally? What do you want to see in your family? What do you want to see spiritually, physically, financially, relationally? What do you want to see in your life tomorrow? Because seeding the clouds means I've got to sow today what I want to see tomorrow. And I love this little phrase he uses. He says we have to live every day with prophetic imagination. Prophetic imagination. We have to begin to allow our minds to begin to roam free by the leadership of the Holy Spirit and tap into that prophetic imagination of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the building block of everything that God has done and will do in the earth. The only thing standing between where you are and what God wants to do in your life is a seed of faith that is willing to be sown through a life 
of obedience. Look at verse 2. It says, For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Let me ask you a question today. What do you want your obituary to say? How do you want people to remember you? I want people to remember me and say, you know what, Pastor Keith, he was so crazy, he just believed God. He believed they could build North Alabama's greatest church in Arab, Alabama. Arab what? He was stark raving mad with faith. That's what I want people to say. He believed that nothing was impossible. He believed that everyday ordinary people with tore up, messed up past could rise up and be the leaders of the greatest movement of God that ever shook the planet Earth. He believed that everybody was qualified through the grace of God and that by the Spirit of God and a spirit of faith, we could step in and lay hold of every good plan that God has for us. How do you want people to remember you? Oh, he had a nice house. We ought to bury him in that car because he loved it. What a sad epitaph to a life that could have been well lived for the glory of God. By faith, they obtained a good testament. Look at verse 3. And it says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which were visible. Genesis chapter 1, I want you to remember this. Look, look at it when you get home today. In Genesis 1, the Bible says God created light in the darkness. God created order in the midst of chaos. God created life with the breath of his mouth. God said what he wanted and he created. Think about this. He created what he had only imagined. And out of prophetic imagination, God created the world. And then he created me and you in his image. Of all of creation, only human beings have creative abilities. Animals still live like animals. Rabbits still live like rabbits. Dogs still live like dogs. Unless they have been intervened upon by human beings. But mankind has evolved, not in the Darwin sense, but in the God sense. Because we were created by a creator to create. And we do. Look around us today. And those little flashy lights that were ready to be gone. <laughs> Praise God they're disappearing this week. Were one time the imagination of the mind of a man. Do you realize the first Christmas lights that went on a tree were candles? That were lit. You imagine saying, hey, let's light the tree. Okay, 45 flicks later. <laughs> I, and unfortunately, they didn't use a flick there either. That's exactly right. Oh, my goodness. Everything that you see was once the imagination in the mind of man, which was first the imagination in the mind of God. We got to seed the clouds. We got to begin to allow the prophetic imagination of the Spirit of God who lives in you, who is a creator God, to create life through you. Look at that next point. Our natural neurological tendency as we age from 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 70 to 80, 80 to 90, 90 to 100, 
Our natural tendency as we age is to begin to live from memory instead of creativity. You want to know why young people think old people are boring? Because we say, well, that's what we've always done. Well, that's just how you do it. And if you remember, anybody remember being young? I'm 50. I remember being young. I'm like, today I'm young. Come on, somebody. Man, I'm so full of creative imagination. My mind is blowing up every day. Every day I'm telling Kelly stuff, and she's like, that's just crazy. We can do this, and we can do that, and we can go here, and we can reach this, and we can accomplish this. You know why? Because there's a natural tendency. Hear me. There's a natural tendency in our flesh. You don't have to be 50, 60, 70, 80 years old to be old. There's a natural tendency in our flesh to live from memory, to do what we've always done. Instead of live from creativity and create the future and the hope that God intends for us to have. I'm just telling you, the Bible says, God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. God's not done doing what he has done. We need to hold on to the virtues and values of yesterday, but we need to repackage them in the creativity of today. Because there's a new way. Come on, somebody. And it's called prophetic imagination. See, if, if we live from memory instead of creativity, we repeat the past instead of creating the future, we stop living by faith, and we start living by logic. Let me tell you what happens when you tend to get a little older. You start getting safe. When you're 20 years old, you don't care about anybody or anything. All you want to do is conquer the world. When you're 50 years old, you have a bunch of people that you now care about. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the tension in that is I have a tendency because I have a lot of people counting on me and a lot of people that I now care about and a lot of people that I now have invested in and a lot of people that I'm now concerned about their future and their hope that I now become logical and I begin to live out of my logic which says I can do what I've always done because it's always produced what we needed to get where we are today and that's safe. Or I can begin to live by faith, which is going to push the envelope, which is going to stretch me and create a Holy Ghost risk. How I many you know when David went to the battlefield, there was a little Holy Ghost risk? <laughs> when Moses stuck out his rod over the Red Sea, there was a Holy Ghost risk. When Joshua marched around the city of Jericho seven times, and on the seventh time they shouted, there was just a little bit of Holy Ghost risk. And somewhere along the way, you got to make a decision. Am I going to live out of logic or faith? We don't abort our logic to live in faith, but we don't allow what we know intellectually to trump what God says spiritually. Look at that next point. Seating the clouds means surrounding ourselves with the right people. Every relationship is an investment in your future. Every relationship is making you better or worse, stronger or weaker. As a matter of fact, next Sunday we're going to begin a new series entitled Relationships Rule. And we're going to talk about the value and significance of relationships. A church is a community of faith. Think about this. It spurs us on into love and good works. Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises and let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. 
Seed in the clouds means surrounding yourself with the right people. We live in a world of naysayers. We live in a world of doubters. We live in a world of critics. We live in a world of judgmental people who want to shoot down the dreams and aspirations and visions of God in your life. Think about it. How many times have you shared what you believe to be a God-inspired dream with somebody only to have them rain on your parade? And unfortunately, if enough people rain on your parade, you don't have one. You stop celebrating, you stop living, and you just start surviving. And I'm just going to do what I've always done because it's safe. But when you surround yourself with the right people, there are people that, number one, believe nothing's impossible with God. And number two, they actually believe in you. And they want to inspire hope and faith. That's what the church does. You know why the community of the church is so powerful? Let me tell you a great statement. In case you hadn't figured this out yet, you're better when you're in church. I don't know if you know that, but your family does. You're better when you're in church. You're a better husband, a better wife, a better father, a better mother, a better person, a better Christian. You're better when you're in church. Do you know why? Because when you're in a community of faith like Liberty Church, there are people that encourage you. There are people that inspire you. There are people that challenge you. And there are people that believe in you. And you know what we're doing? We're not trying to pull anybody down. We're trying to push everybody up. You want to know why small groups are so important? We're launching small groups next week. You know why they're so important? Because you need a community of faith. You need to seed the clouds. Every relationship is seeding the cloud with faith and hope and expectation and calling you up and calling you out to be all you're called to be, or else it's seeding the cloud with doubt and worry and unbelief. Let me just say it like this. You need to shut your mouth to negative, murmuring, complaining words, and you need to begin to speak truth in life, not only over yourself, but in the lives of other people. So we need that. You want to know why that encounter retreat that's coming up, you can register today. By the way, it's so important because you need somebody that believes enough in God to believe in you. <laughs> that there's nothing too bad about our past to keep us from the goodness of God in our future. And that everybody's qualified to be somebody in the kingdom of God because Jesus died for you. Amen? Look at our last point. Here we go. Seating the clouds means prophesying through praise. It means choosing the adventure. It's a commitment to praise God in the pit or in the palace. It's a daily decision to choose life and the adventure that comes from following Jesus. Seeding the cloud means prophesying through praise. I shared that earlier at the end of worship. We prophesy through our praise. We create the future that God has called us to be. And Mark Batterson made a statement I thought was powerful. He said, whatever we don't turn into praise becomes pride or pain. When you succeed, if you don't turn your success into praise, you know what will happen? It will turn into pride, and you'll start thinking it was all you. Let me just tell you something. You're not that smart, nor good looking. It was the grace of God. It was the favor of God. It was the goodness of God. It was the mercy of God on your life that brought you any and every success you've ever experienced in your life. And if we don't turn our successes into praise, they become pride. And if we don't turn our problems into praise, it becomes pain. And more specifically, it becomes bitterness and resentment in our heart toward people and God, which robs us of the future and the hope that God has for us. I'm just going to tell you right now, I can't be bitter at you and be on purpose with God. Amen. 
I can't be bitter with you and be on purpose with God. The bitterness of my heart toward a person that has hurt me will rob me of the purpose of God for my life. Why? Because it stifles my growth. God hasn't abandoned me. God still loves me. His vision for my life hasn't changed. But that bitterness stifles my heart and keeps me from stepping into what God has. So we have to prophesy through praise. We have to choose the adventure. What does that mean? It means there has to be a daily decision to choose life and the adventure that comes through following Jesus. You guys have heard me say it a hundred times. If you're bored in your Christianity, you're not following Jesus. If you're bored in your Christianity, you're not following Jesus. And so we got to choose life. we got to choose the adventure. Several years ago, I heard a message, and it just spoke to me, and, and it's become my prayer. Here's one of my prayers I pray consistently. I say, God, today I just want to write a yes on my heart to you. And when you say go, I'm going to say yes. And when you say serve, I'm going to say yes. And when you say give, I'm going to say yes. And when you say sacrifice, I'm going to say yes. And when you say pray, I'm going to say yes. And when you say speak, I'm going to say yes. And when you say be silent, I'm going to say yes. I just want to write a yes on my heart, God. I want to live with a holy yes to the Lord. And you know what I found out? If I will live with a daily yes, I can choose the adventure every day. And it is amazing what God will do. It is amazing what God will accomplish. It is amazing divine appointments. When you write that yes on your heart, you know what will happen? In the morning, you'll be in your quiet time, and God will have you pray for somebody you hadn't seen in six years. And you'll go to Walmart and bump into them. It's crazy. And you know what's crazy about it? It's the fact that you prayed for them, you're actually ready to speak to them now. And it's more than, hey, I ain't seen you in six years. It's like, hey, you know what? I was praying for you this morning. You talk about rattle their soul? <laughs> All because you just wrote a yes. You said yes to the adventure of following Jesus. Several years ago, we were at youth camp. I'm going to close with this story. Guy was speaking about two, 300 youth, and he said, I talked to a lot of young people, and young people think that God's boring. He said, uh, let me read you something. He read Revelations. In the book of Revelations, he, he read how the Bible portrays the image of Christ with a rainbow above his head and fire in his eyes and his word being as a sharp two-edged sword. And He read the scripture describing Jesus, and then he looked at those young people. He said, let me tell you something. God's not boring. You are. You are. You'll spend six hours a day playing a video game. You'll spend six hours a day binge watching your favorite Netflix show. And God's changing the world. And all you can do is change the channel. If you're bored doing this, follow Jesus. If you're bored doing this, or this, or this. Man, we, we should have strong thumbs. Have you thought about that? I think I want to thumb wrestle somebody after church today. I think I can win. We're flipping or playing or strolling. It's crazy. Follow Jesus. Say yes to the obedience of the Lord. So, we have to seed the clouds. We have to cut the rope. We have to fly the kite. We have to eat the frog. We have to flip the script. And let me tell you why. Because it's not about you. Let me tell you why you need to cultivate margin and mission in your life. Because there is a world 
that is lost and dying and going to hell. Every day, people are going to hell. Every day, people are stepping into eternity, and they're going to spend eternity separated from God in a place of torment because some Christian was supposed to win them, disciple them, and help them find freedom in Christ. You want to know why you need to create margin and live on mission? Because there's a lost soul counting on you. Well, Pastor Keith, won't God send somebody else? Well, maybe he wanted to send you. Maybe you're the voice. Let's be honest. Think about your life. Think about how you had a hundred people tell you the same thing until one person told you what everybody else had been telling you. And it clicked. So you're that one. You're that one in somebody else's life. But if there's no margin and there's no mission... then they're missing their one. You matter. You matter. And to think that you don't matter is to believe one of the biggest lies of the enemy. So let's do this. Let's just bow our heads today. I want to just challenge you today. If you're here today and you're a believer, you're watching me on our online campus. If you know that you know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, then here's your challenge today. Do something about it. Do something. Cut the rope on your fear. Fly the kite and begin to commit to doing the little things every day like praying and reading your Bible and just saying yes to the Lord. Seed the clouds. Start sowing today the life that you want to see tomorrow. Start investing today in the people that you want to see come to Christ tomorrow. Do something. If you're a Christian, you got a job to do, and, and it's, it's not a burden that we bear. It's the greatest adventure you can ever live. I'm just going to tell you, I've went places I never would have imagined I would go. Kelly and I were talking. I was 18. She was 17 years old when we got married. <laughs> I just turned 50 last month. She just turned 49 this month. And we thought, who could have ever imagined when we got married as 17, 18-year-old teenagers that didn't know anything about anything? The things that we would have experienced because we've chose to follow God. It's astounding. And the truth is, we're nothing special. We're just people that were willing to say yes. So I want to challenge you today to say yes. If you're watching online, I want to challenge you today to say yes. And if you're here today or you're listening online and you realize right now that you don't know the Lord. You're like, Pastor Keith, it's hard to say yes to somebody I don't know because really, to be honest with you, I only know about God. I really don't even know God. I want to tell you something today. The good news of the gospel is we can remedy that right now. You can be saved. That's what the Bible calls it because the first step to you living the life God's called you to live is that you got to die to that life of sin that's been robbing you of every good thing God intended for you. And you got to be willing to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And he loves you. And he's saying, if you believe in your heart and confess to your mouth, Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. You can be forgiven of your past. You can be born again by the Spirit. And you can begin a brand new life today. 
Without Jesus, there is no hope. With Jesus, there's nothing but hope. So if you're here today or you're watching online, you say, Pastor Keith, that's me. I want to accept Christ today. I want to be born again. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want you just to raise your hand. Just all over the building. Just slip your hand up right now. As you raise your hand, our ushers are going to come. They're going to slip a little packet in your hand. And I'm going to pray with you in just a second. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji. Type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. We're about to pray together. Is there anyone else here today in the house that you would say, I want to accept Christ today? Just slip your hand up. Today, I want to know Jesus. That thing you're feeling on the inside, that's not the result of a good preacher. Because I'm not one. It's the result of a good God who loves you and cares about you. And if that's you, just slip your hand up right now. We're about to pray with those in person, those online. So if you raise your hand, I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me. For everybody in the room, I want you to say it with me. Let's say it out loud together today. Let's, here we go. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. The Bible says if you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth and that was sincere, then you have been born again. Welcome to the family. We love you. On the front of that packet that we gave you today, there's a little card. If you'd fill that out, give that to one of our ushers. I personally would love to follow up with you, help you take your next steps, and just walk hard after the Lord. And uh, if you're online watching, there's also a link there you can connect. and We'd love to follow up with you too. Uh, God bless you today.